need somebody Help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 171 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is See Me, Not My Disease, What Family Caregivers Should Know About Alzheimer's Disease Stigma. Now, stigma is when someone judges you based on what they believe is a personal characteristic you have. Stigma may be obvious and direct, such as someone making a negative remark about your mental illness or your treatment. Stigma may be subtle, such as someone assuming you could be unstable, violent, or even dangerous because you have a mental health condition. Stigma may be so strong that you may even judge yourself. And stigma has many harmful effects for persons living with Alzheimer's disease, now which is a brain disease that can't be stopped, reversed, or cured, which is not a normal part of aging, though it's increasingly likely to affect people as they age, which slowly destroys memory and thinking, which slowly destroys the ability to carry out the simplest of tasks, which slowly destroys the ability to communicate. So someone well down the road of Alzheimer's disease may not be able to communicate that they have a painful sore in their mouth. Instead, they may become aggressive or even violent. And Alzheimer's disease slowly destroys the ability to recognize even members of the person's own family, which is why our topic today, See Me, Not My Disease, What Family Caregivers Should Know About Alzheimer's Disease Stigma, is so interesting and so important. To discuss it, our guest is Mary Schultz. Mary has been the Director, Information, Support Services and Education at the Alzheimer's Society of Canada since 2006. She spent a career in healthcare, providing individual and family counselling to clients facing crises associated with life-limiting illness, chronic disability and cognitive impairment. She's also helped to plan and implement programs and services in settings throughout healthcare. She obtained her bachelor degree in social work from Ryerson University and holds a master's degree in social work from York University. In her current role, along with her counterparts across the provincial Alzheimer's societies, She's leading the Society's Culture Change Initiative to foster person-centered care of people with dementia living in long-term care homes, among other priorities that include combating Alzheimer's disease stigma. So, Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gordon. Now, let's get, let's get you started. Mary, Mary, first, please tell us about more about your career, your own experience with family caregiving, and what led to your interest in working with family caregivers, caring for family members with Alzheimer's disease. Well, Gordon, thank you for the introduction. And as you've outlined, I, like many people, have had a, a long career in healthcare. 
but really what motivates me and what keeps all of us motivated in what is a very challenging area of practice is the very humbling experience of learning from people who are living with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. It's something that changes them and it changes everyone who touches their lives. And that includes those of us who are in a position to support them in a professional capacity. So really from my own perspective, and I know I speak for many, many other healthcare providers, we are humbled by what we learn from the people who are living with this disease every day, and that includes their families, of course, that motivates us and spurs us on to try and do whatever we can to improve the lives of people who are living with dementia. Next question, Mary, please. Uh, please tell us and explain your work in helping family caregivers who are caring for family members with Alzheimer's disease or dementia. Well, Gordon, quite often the focus is on the person with the disease, and of course that's, that's where it should be. But what we need to pay attention to is the very unique needs and challenges that family caregivers, the people who support the person with the disease, really face on a day-to-day -day basis. So what the Alzheimer's Society does and what I do in particular is we try to make sure that family members truly understand what this devastating illness is all about, the kinds of changes that happen in the brain and what those changes will do to a person's ability to think, to reason, to function on a day-to-day -day basis, to problem solve, even to find their way in a very familiar setting, a place perhaps where they've lived all their lives. So we want family caregivers to understand the disease as much as possible so that they can begin to understand why a person with dementia might be behaving in the way that they are. Now, understanding the disease is not good enough if you don't understand what to do about it. So learning tips and strategies, not just from us at the Alzheimer's Society, but more importantly, from other people who are in the same boat, other family caregivers who've been down that path, who've learned through trial and error what can be helpful and what's perhaps less helpful. Caregivers learning from other caregivers can be extremely powerful, and that's something that the Alzheimer's Society tries to foster. Now, Mary, please let's switch to stigma. So please would you tell us about the Society's programs for combating stigma in Alzheimer's disease, dementia? Mary, please. Well, what overarches all of our programs, Gordon, is a philosophy of a what, we'll, what we call a person-centered approach to care. And that's just a very fancy way of saying that the person with dementia and their family member needs to be at the center of everything that we say, everything that we do. They need to guide the work of the Alzheimer's Society. When we have that approach, the kinds of programs and services, the sorts of advocacy that we do, even the research that we support needs to be very much informed by what people with dementia and their family members tell us they need, tell us what's important to them, tell us what is their priority. So the kinds of services that we offer are the things that I suspect your listeners would expect us to deliver. Things like, things we've talked about, information for people with the disease and family members. Support, how do I actually get up in the morning and live with this disease on a day-to-day -day basis? Education, things that we've talked about, Gordon, what's actually happening? But beyond all of that, we also want to reach out to the kinds of people who are hopefully listening to this program around public awareness 
if I'm in the grocery store and someone is struggling to pay their grocery bill, might I think, I wonder if that person is struggling with dementia, and might that make me a little bit more patient as I'm going about my busy day? We also, of course, have a very strong focus on supporting healthcare providers, people from all different walks of life who interact with people with dementia and their families, be it a family doctor, a clinic nurse, an occupational therapist. We want to support them in understanding the disease, but also the impact that it has on people with dementia and their families. Let's talk a little bit more about the impact question and how well that's understood. Because you talked about somebody perhaps struggling to pay their, you know, to pay for something in a store. Um, a lot of people wouldn't really understand that, would they? Unless uh, they happen to have listened to um, some of your teaching, the society's teaching. Please tell us more about the way in which you want to get the message across that this is something that needs, deserves needs and should receive help from people who are, so to speak, standing by, not, not in a negative way, but in a way that they really don't quite know what to do. Well, we live in a very fast-paced world, Gordon, and I think all of us get caught up in our busy lives. And when we talk about um, the way we as society care for and support people with dementia, one thinks about our community as a whole or our society as a whole, and, and that can be your, your small town, it can be our country, it can be however you want to define it. But the way that we support people who are having health care challenges and dementia being one of them speaks a great deal about the kind of society we are or the kind of society we aspire to be. And so it gets to our values. And what the Alzheimer's Society is saying is that in our particular instance, of course, we're supporting people with dementia. And those numbers are very high. As you know, Gordon, we're looking at 747,000 Canadians who have a form of dementia right now. And if we don't change that rising tide, we're looking at 1.4 million in a mere 20 years. So we're, we're talking about almost everyone knowing at least one person who's been touched by this disease. So as we think about that, we need to consider how do we talk to them? How do we engage them? What do we think about people with dementia? Do we make, perhaps without thinking, some jokes about dementia that may be quite hurtful? What kind of language do we use when we talk about dementia? So it's about thinking about reflecting on how we interact with people with dementia and make them feel like they still are valuable members of society. That is to say that there are people who, who are people um, who have certain types of challenges, but people who are still very able in certain ways to do the normal things of life. Is that right, Mary, what I've just said to you? Absolutely, Gordon. You've touched on an important myth that I think really persists in our society, that being that when a person with dementia is diagnosed with something like Alzheimer's disease, it automatically renders them completely incapable of carrying on their everyday lives and functioning in their workplaces, driving their car, participating in their book clubs or in their faith communities. This is a myth that is quite persistent. And what we're grateful for today, Gordon, is the opportunity to remind people that a diagnosis of dementia, as devastating as it is, 
does not immediately make a person completely incapable in every realm of their life. Of course, this is a disease that is going to get worse over time. But as you've alluded to, it has a very long trajectory, a very long life. People live with this disease for a decade, 15 years, even 20 years or longer, depending on when they've been diagnosed. They are going to still have many, many years of ability to continue to meaningfully contribute to their circle, their social lives, their workplaces, and it's up to us as a society to support them in that, as we would anyone in our community. On that powerful point, Mary, I'm going to take the break, because as I always say, this is where we have to pay the rent. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Mary Schultz. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and on CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel or listen on demand to our archived shows. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mary Schultz. Our topic is See Me, Not My Disease, What Family Caregivers Should Know About Alzheimer's Disease Stigma. So let's now talk about stigma and the challenges that it creates um, and the way in which Alzheimer's disease creates those challenges. So first of all, Mary, what are the stigma-related challenges that affect persons with Alzheimer's disease and what are the consequences of these challenges, stigma-related challenges and their consequences? Mary? Well, I think, Gordon, one of the big challenges that first crops up is whether or not to even get a diagnosis. Uh, Many people who are concerned about their ability to function, their ability to remember, their ability to carry on their day-to-day activities are quite reluctant to raise the topic with their families, with their family physicians. And the reason for that, we believe, and we've heard from Canadians time and time again, is a real concern about being really deemed immediately incapable, that their lives will completely change 
if in fact a dementia diagnosis is made. And so the, the fear and the stigma starts from the very point of becoming concerned about one's own health and well-being. We also know that people are afraid that they are going to be really to have that many of their rights and responsibilities will be taken away from them, that they will lose their license for driving a car immediately, that they will become isolated and, and disempowered. People worry about their livelihood, that if they disclose this diagnosis to an employer, that they will lose their jobs. And as you know, Gordon, many people with dementia are still very much in their working years, in their 50s, in their early 60s, and so being able to continue to support a growing family is a major concern for people in that age group. We know that people are also very concerned about their future and about their even very, very practical issues like being able to get health insurance, being able to travel, being able to continue to live life as they foresee it. So there are a number of issues that really start to go through a person's mind that really make them very reluctant to reach out for help and support, to get a diagnosis, even to talk about their concerns with people in their immediate family or social circle. Let's now talk about the stigma-related challenges that affect the family caregivers whose family members have dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and the consequences of those challenges for the family caregivers. Many families tell us that they are very concerned that if something is truly wrong with the, the person in their family, mem their family, that they are going to be subject to pity, that they are going to be ostracized by their friends and family, that they're going to become somewhat of an outsider in their community. They're also very often telling us that they're concerned about giving up their hopes and dreams. And by facing this diagnosis, the belief is that life will never be the same again. It will be altered in a way that is irrevocable and that they will no longer be able to have any semblance of a normal life. We also hear from them that um, people will judge them as perhaps somebody who's ringing an alarm bell too early, someone who is perhaps um, airing the family's dirty laundry, uh, all kinds of mythology about reaching out and even acknowledging the concerns that they have. So being isolated, having life change in a way that will be uh, unable to be retrieved, and being really forced to give up hopes and dreams because of the belief that dementia is something that is beyond help, beyond any kind of treatment, that there's nothing that can be done anyway. And so the myths very much feed into that stigma that our lives will change and we won't be able to do any of the things that we've dreamed about. You mentioned work and how important that can be to people who continue to have family responsibilities. Um, and therefore, the question I'd like to ask you next is, what about stigma-related challenges that arise when people um, are still working? In, in other words, stigma in the workplace. Please comment on that. Well, it's a very important area because there are some forms of dementia that do tend to strike people as they are much younger, as we've just talked about. And so it's, it's not a theoretical concern. It's a very real concern for families who have mortgages to pay and even quite young children to raise with all that that entails. 
What we say to employers is it's important to see the whole person. And the example we often use, Gordon, is, is if I were diagnosed with something like you know, breast cancer tomorrow, I might expect from my employer that if I were to disclose that, I would look for my employer to be supportive, to ask how they can accommodate my current condition, my need for treatment, how I might be supported in terms of my family, whether there's an employee assistance program for me, the list goes on. What families tell us, however, and people with dementia tell us, that when they actually think about talking to their employer about a diagnosis of dementia, it's not that kind of experience. They're very concerned that they will be, as we've mentioned, immediately taken off their current roles and responsibilities, that they may be demoted, they may even be fired. There are real concerns that they will be judged to be deemed completely incapable immediately. What we hope for and what we talk about with employers is their obligation to support people with dementia as they would anyone else with any other condition. Of course, ultimately, a person is no longer going to be able to work with dementia, but that can be a very, very long road with lots of opportunities for adjustment, for support, and for the organization to continue to benefit from the person's experience and years with the company. Now let's talk about another difficult one, which is stigma-related challenges that arise in the healthcare and social services systems and what the consequences are of those challenges. Mary? Well, I think where we need to start is with the healthcare system itself. If an individual does have the um, wherewithal to get together with their family doctor and to express their concerns about their well-being, we quite often hear stories about family doctors who are really quite reluctant to explore the possibility of a diagnosis with dementia. And really that stems from a number of things, one being that um, family doctors quite often believe there really is no viable treatment. There are really nothing, not, there's really nothing that they can do. There's nothing that they can offer. And please understand me, Gordon, when I say that we're not in any way judging doctors for this approach, and it's certainly not every doctor. Doctors are trained to do good, not harm. And quite often dementia, because it is a, a, an incurable disease, sadly, still at this point, they quite often feel, what is the point of me diagnosing a person with dementia when I have nothing really helpful to offer? That is a myth. There are many things that can be done to help people with dementia, and that's part of the stigma that this is a disease for which we have to just throw up our hands and sigh and say nothing can be done. And that's something that I know that we'll talk about a little bit later on. We also see this in the social care system, where we have a one-size-fits-all kind of approach to community-based programs, for example. And I'll give you an example, Gordon. Quite often, if a person falls and breaks their hip or needs some short-term assistance and they're living in their own home, a community care program will come in and perhaps three times a week or so, uh, a support worker will come in and assist that person with a bath or help them with their meals, help them get dressed, something of that sort. All very important kinds of services. What we don't recognize, however, that if a person has a form of dementia, having a different person come in every day is going to be very disorienting for the person. The person with dementia may not be able to direct their own care, may not be able to tell the care worker what their preferences are, how they like their bath to be given, 
what's important to them when it comes to getting dressed or getting through their day. And so that kind of one-size-fits-all is, again, that kind of stereotype that people with dementia don't have unique needs and it's nothing that we need to be concerned about. The healthcare system and the social care system in Canada, and it's not unique to Canada, needs to really recognize that dementia brings with it very unique challenges and that we need to tailor our programs and our approach to those challenges that are faced specifically by people with a form of dementia. Now, I'm going to just raise with you a, a broader question which relates to what you just said, and that is the question of conditions, illnesses that are medically incurable. That is to say, my erstwhile profession cannot cure them. Yes. What you've just said is profoundly important, meaning just because there's no medical cure should never, ever be taken to mean there's nothing that can be done that's helpful. And among the things that are helpful, and this is me now holding forth on behalf of family caregiving, um, family caregiving in these situations is becoming more and more important because what family caregivers bring, among other things, are the kind of care and services which lie outside the formal healthcare system or even, for that matter, the formal social services system. Now, let me kind of put a question mark at the end of that one and say, Mary, how far along that particular road do you go with me? Are we talking about really the need for more and better help for family caregivers in those kinds of situations where doctors can't do much or at all. What do you think? I would agree with you, and I think the Alzheimer's Society as a whole is really about that. It's about saying to the healthcare system and family doctors really being at the heart of that healthcare system, we can support you in your ongoing care of people with dementia and their family members. The healthcare provider does not need to go it alone. We know, for example, that the medications that are available to treat some of the symptoms associated with dementia can be helpful in holding some people at a stable level of their disease for a period of time. Understandably, some members of the healthcare professions feel that this, these are very modest improvements and sometimes people don't respond to the medications at all. Our view is, and the view of people with dementia and family members, is that if, if a person can maintain some of their abilities even for a little bit longer than they might otherwise, it's worth a try. They may not score differently on a test, a medical test, but a family member may say, my husband is able to manage the checkbook a little bit longer. That can be hugely empowering for the person, and it also can, can maintain a sense of normalcy in the family. We also know from the studies that have been done that when families are offered good information, support, and education very early in the disease, the kinds of things we talked about earlier, Gordon, they understand what's likely going to happen, the changes that are likely going to come, and most importantly, how to respond to those challenges. And in fact, with Armed with that knowledge, families are generally able to support a person with dementia living in their own home longer because we're able to preempt some of those, I'll call them predictable crises that can come with this disease. So the, right. the coupling of medication and this learning can be very powerful. Now, at that point, the powerful point, I'm going to take the break again because it is the time. 
So, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Mary Schultz. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mary Schultz. Our topic is See Me, Not My Disease, What Family Caregivers Should Know About Alzheimer's Disease Stigma. Now, let's talk, Mary, more about ways to combat stigma and the challenges that are associated with it. Now, I want to really ask you this straight question. How are stigma and the challenges it creates for persons with Alzheimer's disease combated? You've already said a lot about this, but I'd like you to crystallize that answer, please. Well, Gordon, in a nutshell, what we always say is it's incumbent on all of us, anyone who's interacting with a person with dementia, to get to know that person as a whole person, not a broken person. People with dementia are whole people, just like you and I. They are people with whole lives, with values, with interests, with likes, with dislikes, with history, with families, with all kinds of experiences, just like any other individual. So there's an old saying, if you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. So it's about being the person, not the disease, getting to know that person as a whole person. And one of the most powerful ways that we know of to do that is to continue to engage with them, to interact with them in the very normal ways that we would on a day-to-day basis. So an example is that if my friend were to have a form of dementia and we perhaps um, go walking our dogs in the park together or we're in a book club together or we sing in a choir together, I would want to talk to that person and say, how can I support you to continue to do these important things that we both enjoy? Part of our relationship, part of the fun we have together, but it's a big part of our lives. What can I do so that we can continue to do that as long as it's comfortable for you? 
What strategies can we do together? So those conversations can be very fruitful. For example, the person with dementia may say, all I need you to do, Mary, is give me a call before you come over to my house to meet up with me for us to go to the park and walk our dogs. I just need a quick reminder that you're on your way. That may change over time, but that may be all the person needs, just for the time being, to stay involved. And that's a very simple approach, but it's a, a different mindset that the person with dementia can still be meaningfully involved in their community, their faith community, their social activities, dinner parties. Quite often people with dementia tell us, people think I can't even keep up with the conversation anymore. Well, that may happen on occasion, but why can't we slow down a little bit and, and take the cues from the person with dementia? I'm just following up on this question by putting something to you along these lines, that all of us forget things, all of us get irritated at times, all of us feel down at times, all of us feel tired. Is there any tendency, do you, do you think, for people around those who have dementia, Alzheimer's, to come to the conclusion that every manifestation of every behavior from some that person is actually the dementia and not just an expression of the ordinary life of an ordinary person, said in the best possible way. What do you think? Absolutely, and we do see that in the healthcare professions as well, where it's important to remember that people with dementia are also going to have other illnesses just like the rest of us. So having a diagnosis of dementia does not protect the person from, as you say, becoming depressed, getting sad, um, having uh, an infection, getting a cold. The difference is that when someone has a form of dementia and these other illnesses come along, they often have a much more serious impact because the person's system is already somewhat compromised. So it's important to remember, you're right, that a person with dementia has the same feelings, the same vulnerabilities, the same hopes and fears as the rest of us. And the dementia can complicate the picture, but it doesn't um, take away from the fact that these are very real things that still need to be looked at. For example, we know that it's quite often the case that people with dementia will withdraw. They will move into themselves. They will stay home. They will voluntarily withdraw from social activities despite the urgings of their friends and their family. We need to be mindful that sadness and grief and loss and a complete sense of discombobulation can go with this diagnosis as it would with anyone facing a life-threatening disease diagnosis. So it's important to be able to reach out in a very normal way as we would with anyone who's gone through a traumatic situation. Now, let me follow up by asking you about stigma challenges and how to combat them um, for family caregivers with family members with dementia, with Alzheimer's. What would you say to that? Well, family caregivers are also stigmatized, and they often tell us that they, they, they too feel ostracized at times. And it's important for people who are in the community or in their social network to remember that they may become less visible. They may too voluntarily withdraw into themselves or become much more focused on just the person with dementia in their lives rather than all the other people in their life. So it's quite possible that due to their increasing caregiver responsibilities, their own 
reactions emotionally to this diagnosis and living with dementia and their own physical exhaustion from added responsibilities that they may become less visible. It's important not to forget about caregivers and not to allow them to become invisible and that can be in a variety of ways of reaching out. Family caregivers are often quite reluctant to ask for help. They're quite often reluctant to step up and say, this disease is bigger than I am and I need assistance. One of the messages that we think is really key, Gordon, is that having a stoic, stiff upper lip, may I say a typical Canadian kind of response to this disease, is not a good thing. It is a sign of strength to stand up and say, I need help, I need it now, and I need it early. Because dementia is just too big for even the most devoted family caregiver. The last thing I think we should chat about, Gordon, in this regard is this area that we've talked very briefly about, which is the tremendous grief that can go with this diagnosis. And I'm not talking about the grief of losing someone physically to death, but family caregivers tell us all the time that as much as they love the person with the disease and are going to do everything they can to support them, they often feel that they are losing them a bit at a time. And that sense of loss is very real. So when family caregivers are told something that can be quite insensitive, like, well, at least you still have your husband. I've been a widow for five years. At least you've still got him. That can be a real manifestation of stigma, that having a husband of any kind is better than none at all, whereas, in fact, the spouse may be tremendously grieving the many losses that come with this disease. Now, let's talk about the stigma and the challenges within the healthcare and social services system, how that's combated. You've already said several important things about that, but I'd like to, you to go into more detail. So how, what about stigma and challenges in the healthcare and social services system? How do we combat those? Well, even the most experienced among us, Gordon, um, have a lot to learn about this disease. And I bump up against this all the time where we do hear from healthcare providers and social care providers that they've worked in the field a long time, they have a lot of patients or clients with dementia, they really, let's say it, know it all. I think it's extremely important that people pause and reflect on how person-centered is that? Do they really understand, can they really understand the real experience of living with this disease on a day-to-day -day basis? When one pauses as a professional in this field and thinks about that, it's very difficult to put yourself in the shoes of anyone who's facing a disease that is going to get worse over time. So we challenge healthcare providers to take the quiz that is on our website at alzheimer.ca to really see well, how would you approach these challenging situations? Do you, do you really think you've got it all together? Because we hear quite often that there is still a tremendous need to educate healthcare providers and social care providers about the disease, about its impact, but most importantly for these individuals to hear directly from people with dementia and family members, talking to the person, not at the person, talking to the person who has the disease, not just the family, and really making sure that we're normalizing the access to services. Quite often we think people with dementia are not going to benefit from programs and services because they have dementia. Well, quite often we really need to stop and pause and think, 
is that really true or is that part of the stigma that I'm bringing to my practice? I've heard stories of on this on this show of family caregivers who've looked after their parent who lives out their life at home with dementia, with Alzheimer's disease. And I've heard a sense of value, relief, and a feeling, I don't know whether this is the right phrase, of a job well done. That is to say, the family caregiver felt that he or she did her best under the circumstances and that the person with the condition um, lived the most pleasant life that was possible under the circumstances. Is that a fair summary? We've certainly heard the same thing, Gordon, that as difficult as this disease is and as tremendously challenging as caregiving is, that there are many people who say the opportunity to provide support to my friend, my husband, my parent with this disease has been a gift. It's perhaps not a gift we any of us would have asked for, but since it came our way, it actually has had some benefits. And the benefits tend to be we've come closer, I've learned more about my friend, my spouse, than I ever dreamed possible. I've learned more about myself and what I can manage and how I can cope under difficult circumstances. So you're quite right. We hear quite often that this can be quite an enhancing um, part of the relationship and part of the person's life. What I think is important, though, Gordon, is to make sure that we're very clear that it is not the norm that a person with dementia can be cared for at home until the end, and that is despite all the love and care and support that is given to people with dementia, the most devoted families, even the most resourced families, will find that often quite a challenge. So that takes us to the issue of if a person is cared for at home or if they're cared for in a long-term care home like a nursing home, the family caregiver role is still vital. They still need to be at the center of the team, whatever that team looks like, supporting the person with dementia. And so we do need to give families permission to care for the person with dementia in whatever setting makes sense because their role is going to be vital regardless of where the person lives. Right. Now, again, it's the time for the break, so let's take it. This is Dr. Gordon Adler, and my guest is Mary Schultz. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated. Hear about success stories and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You 
are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mary Schultz. Our topic is See Me, Not My Disease, What Family Caregivers Should Know About Alzheimer's Disease Stigma. So let's talk about what more is to be done to combat stigma related to dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and share with us, Mary, please, your messages for mental health and social services professionals and for family caregivers. So let's start with the first question then. What more would you like to do and see done to combat stigma in Alzheimer's disease? Well, I think we'd be remiss, Gordon, if we didn't talk about the fact that Canada is one of the few countries now in the G8 that does not have a national dementia plan. And so at the large sort of policy level, we've talked a lot about families and caregivers, but it's important to remember that they are supported by the kinds of legislation and the kind of policies that exist at all levels of government. And so it is important, I think, to mention that uh, people with dementia and their family members in Canada deserve well-coordinated, thoughtfully planned, accessible, affordable programs and services right across this country. And at this point, um, that is not a reality and something that we are continuing to advocate for at every level of government. We also would very much like to encourage people who are living with dementia themselves or their family members to really step forward. It's extremely empowering for people to see others who are, quote unquote, in the same boat, functioning very well in life, able to continue to contribute, to participate in things, to raise their voices, to make a difference. And so what we'd love to see is people with dementia stepping forward, talking to their local Alzheimer's society, talking to their local communities and saying, how can I continue to help you with your work and how can you continue to make use of my skills and ability? Sharing your story and getting involved can be a very powerful way of reducing stigma. We also would really like to continue to emphasize a truly person-centered approach to care and support. Many of us will say, of course, I put the person with dementia first. Well, when you really pause and think about it, are we really thinking about that person first, or are we doing things that are perhaps a little bit more um, centered on our own needs? I'm not speaking about family caregivers so much here. Of course, their needs are extremely important, but healthcare professionals need to think about how are we delivering services and are they really meeting the needs of people with dementia and families? And I think perhaps lastly, we strongly encourage the engagement of family members as true partners in whatever care and support is being delivered to people with dementia. Quite often, they are sidelined and the professionals take over. Family members need to be at the heart of all the care decisions when the person with dementia is no longer able to guide their own care. And that can sometimes be less than ideal. 
I want to know now, please, your message for mental health care and social service professionals about combating stigma in dementia, Alzheimer's disease. Mary, please. Well, first of all, the Alzheimer's Society is very clear that we know that people who are on the front lines of delivering support and care to people with dementia have a very difficult job. And we commend the fact that they are always looking for new and creative ways to reach people with dementia. And Gordon, we have many, many examples of that fine kind of work across this country. But we're reminding people, as tough as it gets, remember that the person with dementia is a whole person. Remember that all behavior has meaning. If a person with dementia is unable to express their needs, and you alluded to this, Gordon, at the beginning of our interview today, it may be because they simply cannot articulate their pain, their fear, their loneliness, their joy, and it may come out in behavior that we don't always understand. So if we can stop and remember what the disease does biologically, what does it do to the brain? Because of course the brain is command central. How does that impact behavior? This is a disease like many, many others. We need to talk about it and we need to learn about it so that we can be as creative as possible in reaching the person who may be getting more and more difficult to reach in the kinds of ways that we traditionally would. Let's now hear, please, Mary, your message for family caregivers about combating stigma in the dementia, the Alzheimer's disease. Mary? Much like people with dementia, we invite families to step forward and to say, yeah, this is what dementia looks like. My husband, my wife, my mother, my friend, my partner has this disease. To not be embarrassed about that. We're not embarrassed to talk about other illnesses. It's time to bring this disease into the light and to talk about it rationally and calmly and empathically so that families can educate the rest of us about their experience, to tell their story. Because by reaching out for information, support, for help, we know that they are going to have a much easier time than trying to go it alone. It's important to learn the facts. It's important to understand this disease. It's also important for us to watch our language. We need to be sure that we're not talking about people with dementia when they're right in front of us. We need to be talking about people with dementia as people not as victims, not as sufferers, but as people who happen to have a particular disease. It's a sign of strength, as we've talked about, for family members to say, I need help. That's the norm. That's what's expected with this difficult disease. It's not a sign of weakness. Speak up and get the support you need. Mary, I'm just going to explore something um, by trying to push you just a little bit further into something. You throughout have been wonderfully supportive of family caregivers. Your understanding of what they face, your sense of the way in which they need help and should be willing to ask for it, should be uh, unembarrassed by asking for it, are powerful statements. Right in this segment, at the very beginning, you were talking about the need for a national strategy. And here's where I'm going to push you. Would you support the idea that family caregivers should be written into that national strategy? They should be recognized and respected as people who partner with the healthcare system 
to provide care of all kinds to persons struggling with this condition, this dementia, this Alzheimer's disease. What do you say? Absolutely, Gordon. Absolutely. In our advocacy efforts to get the attention of government for the importance of a dementia strategy, caregivers are at the heart of that. We've always said, and we certainly echo that in every corridor of, of Parliament that we can, that people with dementia are touched in many ways by a circle around them. That for every person with dementia, there are many others who are impacted by this disease. If family members are supported in a very planned, thoughtful, structured, resourced way to do this very important work, then we're all going to benefit. People with dementia will be, of course, getting better care. Family members will be less stretched and be able to focus on this role while they do their myriad of other tasks. And we as a society will be able to have caregivers who hopefully are able to continue to work, continue to contribute in other ways to our community, economically, politically, socially, and of course, emotionally, we're talking about a much stronger family unit which benefits all of us as a society. So I'm so glad you've raised this because caregiver support is a pillar of any strong national dementia strategy, and we know that from our colleagues around the globe. Thank you. Now, I've, I want to push in another direction, arising from something you said, the idea of um, people with dementia talking about their experiences, uh, as well as family caregivers, is very powerful. And what I'm wondering is, what do you think would, would you think about inviting someone who has Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and their, perhaps their family caregiver, or perhaps you, being a guest on Family Caregivers Unite to talk about their experience, how it feels, the things they go through, and that sort of thing. Am I in fantasy land, or do you think that's something that we could do? Oh, you're not in fantasy land at all, Gordon. This is something that we would welcome wholeheartedly because, in fact, we do this on a regular basis. Every opportunity we get for um, people who are living in the community in any walk of life to hear directly from the person with dementia and their family members rather than us at the Alzheimer's Society, we welcome that because that's the authentic voice of this disease. We are people who are working in support of these individuals. So to hear from them directly is extremely powerful, and it also is extremely enlightening because quite often people have in their minds the mythology that a person with dementia is immediately at the later stages of the disease, completely rendered incapable by this disease. When they hear someone talk like you and I, if they're able to see somebody who looks just like you or I, there's quite a, a light bulb that goes on. The person will often say, I don't even believe that person has dementia. And that's how we start to break down the, the barriers and the stigma attached to this disease. That's wonderful. And that's a message of hope. And I just want to round off by making point to you and putting it as a question. Wouldn't it be right to say that empowering family caregivers and ensuring that everything is done so that somebody who has this condition is able to fulfill their lives with all the potential that it has, notwithstanding the life, the 
difficulties on whatever the challenges are. Wouldn't you say that that's a way of saving a lot of money for a healthcare system that always seems to be in financial difficulties? Mary, what do you say to that? Well, certainly the economic argument can be made, Gordon, that when we support family members, they're quite often able to continue to participate in the workforce with all that that entails in terms of our economy, but also in terms of pensions and their own planning for down the road as their own lives progress. So certainly there's a strong argument to be made economically that uh, a person who is living at home can often be well supported with less costly programs and services than perhaps in a long-term care home or in an institution of another sort. Having said that, people with dementia, of course, have escalating needs. And while the economy is an important driver, we need to carefully look at the most efficient ways of delivering those services. For example, when folks live in a supportive housing kind of environment, uh, something that's often referred to as clustered care, people can often get very good support in a, in a much more efficient manner than if they are living in all their individual homes. So there's lots of different models that we can learn from. The important thing, Gordon, is for us to have that conversation around how can we design the healthcare and social care systems so that they are economically viable while still meeting the needs of people with dementia throughout the continuum, which of course can be quite long and has considerably dramatic impacts on abilities. Mary, unfortunately, we have to close now, uh, the tyranny of time. But first, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for sharing with us your experience, your insights, your advice, and your understanding. And I also want to thank you for voicing all the things you've voiced, which are hopeful things, hopeful things that are recognized that this is a challenge and that some people will finish, have to finish their lives, unfortunately, in some kind of care. That's a reality. But the message I hope our listeners get from you is one that's hopeful, caring and looking ahead. And therefore, I'm going to wish you and all your colleagues at the Society every success in what you do. And I'm going to get back to you to see if we can organize an episode where we have someone who's, who's got experience, personal experience of dementia to talk to us. I want to thank our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear from you about ideas for topics, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. And in our next episode, we'll talk about euthanasia prevention, what family caregivers should consider. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host 